Hello, everyone. Dr. Jeremy Boyd and Dr. Brandon Cruz here with our fourth episode of the Manips and Sips podcast. Uh, coming off a, uh, a crazy weekend and uh, upcoming uh, another busy weekend. Uh, last weekend was my 32nd birthday. Um, had a great time, great birthday. Everyone uh, treated me well, um, which um, actually my drink today is uh, Bib and Tucker. It was gotten for me by my lovely office manager, Ashley, uh, knowing that we do the show and uh, my new fondness for um, bourbons and whiskeys. She got me uh, Bib and Tucker. It's a small batch bourbon whiskey, uh, aged 60 years. Uh, the name Bib and Tucker uh, used to be described uh, for your finest attire. Guys right there. Um, what about you, Jam? What are you sipping on tonight? Uh, I'm sipping on uh, Shipyard's uh, Brewing Company. It's Island Time. Uh, it's a session IPA. Uh, it's uh, just to describe it a little bit. It's a fresh IPA. It's made with a Amarillo and Simcoe hops. Uh, it's pretty good, light, more of your lighter version of IPA, which I like. I'm not a real huge IPA guy, uh, but it's pretty good. And uh, just a little I thing I'm going to add on as I'm drinking more beers on this show is uh, my lovely fiance, uh, Alyssa, uh, for my 28th birthday, which was about was a year plus ago, uh, had the idea that we're going to hit a brewery, 28 breweries for my birthday. Uh, over the course of the year, we didn't actually oh, over the course it. of the year. I thought that was a one day. I was like, geez, oh, that's that a lot. Would glorious. I would have been died, but it would have been glorious. But no, uh, it was over an entire year. I think we got to 21 or 22. Uh, but at each brewery, uh, our mission was to get a cup. First two breweries, we got two cups, and then we're like, ah, oh, crap, this we got too many damn cups in this house. So now we got. 20 more cups. I'm hoping a couple like an earthquake happens and knocks a couple. That way I can have a couple more room in my cabinet. But today's uh, cup of the day is uh, Historic Cold Spring uh, uh, Brewery. Uh, sorry, it's Historic Cold Springs Village in Cold Spring Brewery uh, in Cape May, New Jersey. Uh, cool place. They took uh, like a barn, uh, old one that they were going to knock down this little historic village and Actually, they put a brewery there, and the funds from the brewery kept the little historic uh, going. So, cool little place. It wasn't actually – the beer was not too bad, um, but uh, it wasn't anything that I completely was, like, thrilled about. But you didn't fall in love with it. Nah, just the cup. It's more. It's only one of a mason jar, so I got a lot of different cups. Uh, this is the only mason jar type cup of all the ones, that, which I find surprising being that you know millennials love their mason yep. jars that's that's the one with a handle too so extra bonus especially where you live down uh down in philly which is um definitely a little uh, hipstery over there so uh, i know yeah. they're big on their mason jars and their beer gardens and things like that yeah pretty much every bar i go to in philly has some sort of a mason jar action but not this not not the ones i guess that's a short place cape may so it's a little different. Well, anyway, we have an uh, exciting weekend coming up, uh, being that this is uh, the Manips and Sips podcast. We are uh, hosting a um, manipulation course this weekend in Hackensack, New Jersey at Excel Physical Therapy. So that's what um, we're diving into. Uh, just a little update for our growing uh, audience out there. 
Um, but today uh, we really wanted to kind of jump into uh, some pain science and that topic and, um, you know, some of our experience with it, how, how we've grown uh, with it as this has been, uh, you know, an intervention or aspect, I should say, of uh, our treatment that's really grown in popularity in the past you know, 15 years or growing exponentially in the past 15 years. And I've only been practicing about five years. So I would say the past uh, five to seven years, it's really been, um, you know, taking hold. And uh, I know you and I have had some conversations about it. And, you know, we've definitely gone down the rabbit hole. And I think we've gone, uh, come, come back out a little bit. Um, but, you know, when anytime you learn any new intervention, you, you kind of have to go down that rabbit hole to learn when and when not to. Uh, and I see a lot out there, um, you know, newer clinicians or even old clinicians um, learning this stuff for the first time, trying to figure out where and how to use it and um, might be getting burned. I know you and I have, but uh, I'll let you start off and kind of really take the way, take the reins of this one as uh, I know you dove, you know, really head over heels for this one uh, in the beginning um, for your first uh, couple of years. So, uh, you know, start us off, Jer. Uh, yeah, uh, so I really, really, I became fascinated with it. Uh, it became part of my residency training. Uh, it was when I first got a good taste of it. I don't really recall it in PT school, but could have been that I was too busy, preoccupied studying with other things that I didn't, you know, employ it enough as a clinician once I get out. But definitely once we got into the residency, and we started uh, like watching those videos on Peter O'Sullivan and uh, that that video of him working with the guy bending forward. The yeah, the Peter uh, the O'Sullivan and Jack uh, video. Yep, Jack. That's what it was. Uh, so literally had a patient uh, like the next day after that video or after the the lesson with it that I, uh, I started to do that. Uh, I started to like, you know, started to talk about to the patient, and, you know, uh, started like encouraging them that, you know, it's not a problem to bend forward. The person had, I don't know, maybe like 30, 40 degrees of flexion. And then by the end of it, they had like 60 degrees and I felt like God and I'm not saying I'm God, but it was like amazing. I was like, Oh my God, I'm the best physical therapist in the world. I just talk to someone out of their pain and, uh, I think like that week I had like two more people that are like that. I'm like, Oh my God, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Everybody's going to get it. Let me just, I don't care who you are. You came in for an ankle sprain. You're going to get some of this, this education. Uh, so I really started, I talked to my advisor. He mentioned Adrian Lowe. Uh, I started following him and taking his courses uh, one, because I was also getting very tripped up a lot of the times um, while I was doing the education part where I either got a question or I forgot some of the stories or analogies. Uh, taking the courses definitely helped me, um, but then in almost much of a good thing sort of way. So I started going off just a couple during the intervention, like while the person was bending and I was assessing and then I was talking a little bit and that was helpful to me uh, try and follow Adrian Lowe way where you can have a whole conversation with a person. Uh, you can pick through them and everything like that and kind of flip through things. And then by the end of it, it was like a half an hour went by and like that. And that was what was happening to me at times was, you know, I treated a place where you got about an hour, 
but he definitely probably had someone there, maybe two other people there. And I was like, down and, you know, maybe they're doing some basic exercises, but uh, uh, I was trying to sit them down and buy the pain science education and talk them out of their pain in a way or, you know, give them at least some more research back out there. And uh, one, I was starting to get, you know, burnt out uh, from it uh, by by far. I was, you know, I remember one time I met there, so I was getting a lot of chronic pain patients. And it might be a disservice to any of them, but I remember one day after like three or four evals, and I would always start the conversation day one. Even him, he was like shaking his head. He's just like, "You're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're not gonna make it." Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. God, no, I was just gonna say, it, you know, it's definitely very easy to kind of get lost, lost in that, you know, the pain science, and not even pain science, but um, you know that the neuroscience, the explanation, um, and thinking everyone needs to, uh, get it, especially, uh, we hear the, uh, a chronic patient, uh, we, we hear that they've had pain for, you know, a year or, or, you know, longer, and we automatically want to jump, jump to it. Uh, and it's definitely not something that needs, needs to be that, uh, we can definitely, um, and, and I know you mentioned Adrian Lowe. I mean, this goes even beyond Adrian Law. I know he's a, he's more the uh, the prominent one who kind of makes it fun. You you if you guys uh, have the opportunity to attend one of his courses, please do. Uh, phenomenal lecture. It definitely takes a probably previously uh, boring topic and and makes it real fun and and understandable. But I mean, you have guys like Gifford and Joe Nish and Peter O'Sullivan and many others out there that have uh, kind of carved the way before before Adrian Lowe. Um, but he you know he's made those books and everything. Um, but for me, I remember in residency, it was, it was a thread discussion thread and somebody had brought up the explain pain video in less than five minutes. And, um, you know, he was talking about how we were discussing a patient of mine and how I should probably use this. And I was like, what is this crap? Um, how come, you know, I should manip this person and they should be better or I should be able to, you know, do some type of manual on Therax and they'll be better. Um, you know, so I really had to take a step back. Um, but it's on YouTube. That video is a pretty good one. I know I got hung up a lot on uh, on that video, and I would show patients that video, and, and you know they would come back after watching it five minutes, and you know basically say I'm telling them they're making it up in their head. So it definitely is something. You know that's the art of physical therapy that um, you know everyone talks about uh, when there are discussions on. PT needs to be standardized or, you know, aren't why are people um, treating people with neck pain or low back pain the same way? And they say, oh, well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yes and no. Um, you know, if somebody falls into the treatment-based classification, you should probably use that at least as a guideline. Um, but it's the way we talk to our patients and get them to buy in. That's the art. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, you were, you were speaking upon that, how you're kind of getting lost and, and burnt out with that a little bit. Uh, yeah. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and speaking of that video, I remember one time I looked back at my emails that I sent out and I, I copied and sent that video out to, it was just literally all, it was just a long list of just all the emails that I sent out in like a month uh, of where everyone was getting that. 
I was even, even the fact that I was sending it out. Yeah, great resource, but I wasn't there to watch them watch to watch them watch it essentially and explain immediately afterwards for that. So, oh, so uh, you were sending those videos out to your patients via email? Yeah, by via email. I did, if I didn't have the we didn't have like maybe the the iPad available or something like that. I was like, oh, we talked about this. Here's a video. Thinking. You know, a lot of times some people came back with questions and those were those really good patients that did really need the very long conversations or a lot of that pain science. But a lot of other people were just, yeah, it was okay. Uh, or they came back and backlash and they, they're like, I don't necessarily agree with that. What are you trying to say? And as you were saying, Brandon, that you're saying it's all in my head, this is my fault. And that's what a lot of people perceive uh uh, is that sometimes when you're explaining this, it's almost their fault that their brain didn't uh, make the right responses. Now it has chronic continuous pain. Yeah. It can definitely, you know, messed up in the wrong way. Yeah, I think that goes to uh, really, you know, what we say and what the patient thinks we're saying, um, how that can be different. A lot of times we're, we're thinking we're making perfect sense in our head. Uh, you know, we're knowing we we know what we're talking about. We know what the points we're emphasizing are. We think we did a home run, but the patient is, you know, picking up something else that we're laying down. And, and oftentimes there's a uh, there can be a disconnect and it's no one's fault. It's just, you know, the interpretation. And that's what happens uh, when you talk. I have a, a story. Actually, I learned uh, we were talking about this in, uh, in fellowship uh a few uh a few months ago how somebody with uh low back pain was told they should uh shouldn't bend forward shouldn't flex obviously they probably probably had a, a flexion intolerance in the beginning and whatever the pt was uh was saying to them made sense in their head we're gonna train you in extension and neutral and then bring you to flexion but this patient uh got in their head that they should never flex forward and you know so the question came up well how are you driving and the guy basically took a a somehow you know made a makeshift um kind of plinth where he was angled his driver's it's not even a seat it was just a, a straight board uh straight and that's how he was driving for however many years so it just kind of goes to show we have to um really you know be careful with what we're saying and how we're saying it and you know sometimes have these conversations more than once with patients yeah uh i couldn't agree more uh i don't know about you but like i try and like kind of evaluate myself over the years and how i talk to patients and definitely those articles that see be mindful of how you speak and how you educate people and when I first came out, didn't care what I said. There was never a time where I ever regretted it. Um, and then after like learning about this stuff, going through residency, uh, there's the times where I would say something, and if I didn't say it right, I like I would try to provide the education, do it right. But there were some periods where I was just like, "Oh crap, I should, probably shouldn't have said that." I'd still let it go. And now at this point, that has become rare or more rare. But now I'll go back and say, oh, I said something that I didn't mean to. I'll go back right there. And then that's not what I meant, uh, what really meant. And I'll try and correct it that way. There's no way, as be at least as best as I can, to say um, that the patient takes it the wrong way. Yeah, I think um, 
you know, when we're coming out of school, uh, we think we know best and we're the, we're the doctors and the patient should listen to us. And, you know, over the course of, you know, practice and, you know, hopefully with some good mentorship, you learn to, um, you know, if you let the patient talk long enough, they'll pretty much tell you what's not only what's wrong, but um, how they think they should be fixed. Uh, but that that's definitely a skill like any other, like learning the mobilization or uh, a soft tissue technique or learning how to provide exercises. Um, you know, pain science is uh, is definitely something that needs to be worked on. For some people, it comes you know easier than others. But uh, learning what what questions to ask and how to phrase things, what not to say, when to say things is definitely. Uh, an art and a skill that needs to be uh, needs to be practiced. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely does. Uh, you can see it with. I see. I like to do it with just watch my students. Uh, usually, they're only with me for probably roughly around three months, maybe a little bit more, some a little bit less. But I'll start to give it to them because I feel that's probably the thing the most. And generally, if you look at the whole scope of PT schools and uh, to knock on PT schools, we both teach at them and stuff, um, is that you, it's just something that takes a lot of time, a lot of education, a lot of mentorship. Uh, and then the finally, there's no way you can really practice for it in, in the school setting. Is This is something that you need to do, learn it, and then use it and wait for a patient to respond back to you and learning those answers on the fly. I think makes you really more experienced. And I like to see my students at first. I, I've seen a couple of students who I, my one main student, Eric, he got, he got chewed up on the eval. And she, uh, she was just like, uh, pretty much by the end of it, she's like, I don't like him very much. Uh, made fun of his pants. Uh, he had some like wool pants and she's like, aren't you hot in those pants? And he was wearing like a pink shirt and she, he was getting his chops busted pretty bad about that. Um, but, uh, you know, but to watch him, and he was only with me for six weeks. By the end of it, he was getting a lot better with it, a lot more confident with it. So um, it is something that does definitely need a lot of real-life practice. Yeah. Um, I just got a call over there. I don't know if hopefully that didn't interrupt, um, you know, what you said. I, I know I missed a, a little bit. Uh, but, you know, part of the reason why we wanted to have uh, this this podcast is because, you know, we, we've seen the way kind of pain science, the pendulum has swung greatly into it as an intervention. And, you know, a lot of times um, clinicians think, you know, this is the way to go and kind of leave some of the other stuff behind, uh, whether it's exercise, whether it's manual therapy, whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, I had a, I was having a discussion with uh, Cam McDonald about this uh, and, um and fellowship and you know it shouldn't be really so much an intervention as more of uh you know an ideology uh on how we treat or a foundation of you know part of what we do and just our general approach uh so you know i think uh i think that's definitely probably one of the you know take home points with this um and also one of the uh the other points and uh, like i said i got caught off when you were talking uh, about your student there but a lot of times the best way to really reach our patients is, is via analogies. Uh, you know, I learned, um, and I, I think you, you mentioned it, you know, what works for some patients don't work for others. So if you can develop a whole list of uh, analogies that you can learn to plug into different, different um, 
patience. Uh, that's probably, you know, the biggest av- uh, advantage I'll have. I know I was uh, kind of told to read while I was uh, doing residency, Painful Yarns. Uh, I don't know if you read that one, Jared. Did you have a chance to read that? Uh, that's by what, Mosley, right? Yeah, Mosley book right there. I think I think I, I think I did come across it uh, and read it. Um, so I know the first time I read it, it went over my head. I should probably read it again. I haven't read it in a, in a couple of years, so it'd be interesting to read it uh, again now and see uh, the different take home points I would get out of it. Yeah, they uh, and I think they've updated a lot of those books. Um, I think they saw they released some new editions on that. So I was looking on getting those. Um, what what resources you use some you have some books and resources at your clinic right yeah so i've uh in general i've uh definitely found the way to you know i, I kind of ride in the middle now that pendulum for me is definitely more in the middle and i've learned kind of when and when not to use it or i think i have anyway i'm definitely better than I, when i first started but uh i have the adrian lowe series you know why do i hurt is one book, uh, Your Nerves Are Having Back Surgery is another book, Everyone Has Back Pain. So I bought the whole series there, and I just leave them on my front desk. Um, I shouldn't say front desk. I have a desk where people can sit when they're waiting, kind of in a little waiting area. And if people pick it up, they pick it up. Awesome. If they don't, great. And a lot of times while they're waiting, they'll pick it up, and then it'll spark some conversation. Uh, I think that's uh, one of the better ways instead of us kind of force feeding information down, kind of letting the patient open up it shows that they're willing. They're probably going to be more accepting to hear what you say. Uh, and then you get to question them and kind of question their thought process in, in, a, in a nice, uh, polite way without necessarily challenging the ideas. Because a lot of times they'll, they'll come out with an idea or a belief. Uh, that someone said, and I know uh, I was very notorious for this in the be- you know, when I first started just saying, no, you're wrong. This is the way it is. And, and now it's, well, it, just kind of phrasing it differently or maybe getting them to think about it in a different way. And then they sit and think about it and they tend to be a little bit more, uh, you know, open or willing to, to listen to some of the new thoughts out there. Yeah, uh, good example. I do the same thing. I think you have the posters by Adrian Lowe. I have them up. And I'll just say, hey, you know, as we're talking, I was like, if you want any more information, look at the posters. I also have some of the books in the front, which uh, like a nice thing that I believe Adrian Lowe, he always said uh, in his lectures is uh, you got to de-educate to re-educate. You got to simplify things. And that's why those pictures and those books are real nice for patients and well, the feedback I've gotten from the patients that have read it in my uh, waiting room or off my coffee tables that they put it puts in simple form for them. But as you were saying, I was the same way. It was, uh, no, the research suggests this. This is all the pain science research that you know, your herniated discs and stuff like that is not big of an issue as we once thought it was. Or your surgeon who went to school for 15, 20 more years than anyone else is wrong and you know all these other professionals are wrong here's the research uh give i even gave it to some patients at some times and stuff uh was probably ill-advised and if you ever do a good lengthy pain science conversation the patient just magically disappears by the next session or two and gives you the excuse of something you don't see him anymore and you're like, oh, it must have been that something. No, it was probably how you force-fed it down the patient's throat, unfortunately. And that's part of that learning process. 
but like certain things as you were saying, like a uh, big thing with me was like, uh, I was always that ends with kind of how chiropractors always often reference things about subluxations and you need to be aligned right and everything like that. Back in the day, I'd be like, well, they're wrong or it's kind of hocus pocusy or anything like that. But now at this point, just so I'm not uh, making the patient feel like, you know, they're split two tribes or anything or that no one knows what they're doing. Even now, I'm like, oh, you can, you know, that's how they believe things. We think of things in a different way. Uh, you know, believe what you want, I'm not saying that they're wrong. Uh, but yeah, here's what some things are, you know, that, you know, you're not out of alignment. A lot of people are, you know, everyone would be technically out of alignment, but if you're getting benefit from the chiropractor, chiropractor, great. We're just going to help that out as well. So, you know, being on the same team and not throwing all these things, again, the patient split a million ways, uh, I think has been more beneficial. And me personally, I've been blessed, uh, since I started my practice, I don't get, I haven't really got any dropouts. Um, and I think that's me, you know, a part of the same team and being more strategic in education and peppering it in when necessary. If someone wants to go full, full bear and learn it all, I'll talk to them all day. You know, we present, I present lectures uh, to the community about, you know, back pain and science, uh, pain science. Uh, I'll talk their ears off, but only if they want to and they're ready for it. Yeah, I think you, you it's, uh, touched on an important point there of, you know, when a, they're listening or they've seen a physician or they've seen a chiropractor and they've gotten a different uh, story or point of view, not to necessarily discredit it right away because some patients may take that as you're discrediting them or their effort or what they've done or maybe the relationship that they've built with the other provider. Uh, and that's not what we always want to want to do. Uh, and, you know, sometimes not everybody needs that pain science explanation. If the patient, you know, holds on to or can relate better or, you know, picture a quote unquote subluxation and they just want it to be, you know, popped back in, you know, quote unquote. Uh, and, but they're fine and you don't see that they're, you know, harping or catastrophizing over the term. I have a, you know, subluxed rib or whatever the case may be, then, you know, no harm, no foul. If that's what the person, you know, relates to and, you know, they, they buy into that and they're okay. There are ways to, to navigate around that and, and kind of uh, explain things in that maybe biomechanical manner uh, to get them to buy in. So pain science isn't always going down that neurophysiological uh, route. And sometimes it's uh, just giving them a, a nice cut and dry, uh, pathoanatomical viewpoint, but nothing that's going to get too hairy. Yeah, uh, I think the most important thing that any PT can do is to complete the buy-in, is to make sure you don't have the drop-off. You know, whatever way you need to fix people, so be it, but to make them have the patient, you know, unfortunately and early uh, and chalk up as PT. I've heard it so many times. So many people I've tried to convince come to therapy because they report their knee hurts and they say PT didn't work for me. Well, that was a drop off. They stopped and they could have, you know, you know, from one of the issues here. So I think that's that's extremely important if you kind of foster something that you quite don't believe, uh, so be it. But then as time gets in and 
I have a girl right now. She chiropractor. She's had pain for say three or four years in her back. Uh, I've been going to chiropractor two times a week, and initially I was. She asked me, should I continue to go to the like the chiropractor? And I've been getting make some referrals to chiropractors as needed. Uh, if, if a patient asks for one or anything like that. And four years ago, I've been like, no, they're wrong. What they believe and how they educate is wrong. I was like, you know, you can make that decision. You put the value where you want to. You can do both. If it helps, continue it. Um, but you make that decision. After like about two weeks, she was at one time a week. And then by two weeks, she was seeing me for two times a week. And I asked her, I was like, are you continuing? She's like, I want to stick with this. I kind of appreciate how you're educating me um, and how you're giving me more. So. Um, that was just a, a personal <laughs> services and that's great uh, It's I think the key is truly getting the buy-in and not pushing people away to... hello yep you still Sorry. there <laughs> yeah I don't know there's a little a little cut off there but yeah you uh, you nailed it there uh, yeah, we're, we're you know, kind of wrapping up and having a couple interruptions here but uh you know, real quick, you said you really dived into the uh, the pain science and that whole realm. What are some uh, some good either articles or videos or courses that you took that you know you can provide for the audience uh, so they can you know self educate themselves or, or take a course or something? Uh, I think if I mean if you have access to MedBridge, uh, by far. Um... I mean, I went to a couple of Adrian Lowe's classes and lectures at like conferences. His explain pain on that one was was the best. It's not incredibly long. It, all the articles there are presented, uh, but it was really good, concise, a good enough case tester to be confident where you can start to employ it. Uh, and you know, it gave you the graphics, the stories, and building up those and. Those analogies, sorry, um, building those up so you can start to use them for for your patients and kind of gives you the framework to start building up on your own. So I'd say by far that one's a really good one. If you know anyone who has MedBridge, um, I'm sure there's a way you can access it. Um, but or any course when he comes around, he comes I guess to big cities every once in a while. I, I would recommend doing that. What about you? Yeah, I've uh, I've actually been pretty lucky. I've been able to uh, hear or sit in on a few of Adrian Lowe's conferences or lectures. Uh, I was at AOMT. I saw Peter O'Sullivan. Uh, I was at AOMT another time. I saw Joe Niche or, or listened to Joe Niche. So these are kind of the movers and shakers uh, in the uh, in the profession. So if anyone really wants a great co- conference where you're going to get a big bang for your buck, I suggest going to AOMT, even if you're a student. Uh, I learned a lot there. That's pretty much the only conference I go to right now um, or have been going to. I'm probably going to start to expand it. Um, but those are some good conferences. Other than that, uh, videos online, just type in Peter O'Sullivan. There's a good one on smudging by, I believe, Butler and uh you know just type in you know articles relating to central sensitization pain science things like that and you're going to get a, a whole host um you know from gifford to niche to low um and so on so you know i'd say that's probably the best places to start 
Yeah, I like the Lower Mosley the snake video. I think that's the one I probably referenced. Yeah, that's, the that's that's probably and, my favorite. Uh, funny and he's funny, uh, but it's a good story. And a lot of our times with patients, it's you know a memory of pain. Every time I do this, you know, I even think about it. It hurts like that. That story is a good one. So I forget how you search for it, but Lower Mosley and the and the snake video uh, should kind of pop up. Uh, the whole thing's good. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of people are just typing painful yarns. I think that analogy your stories in that book, if I'm not mistaken, um, if not uh, similar ones, you should be able to just get a PDF online pretty easily uh, for free. So that's probably a, a good one to start with those analogies. But yeah. uh, I, I guess with that, uh, anything else, Jer, or if uh, we're wrapping up uh, after uh, this? For our, you know, for our audience out there, being that they're mostly clinicians, but we do get a couple people who aren't. Uh, what is your, if you can sum up your best, um, best piece of advice or best story or an analogy? Uh, sorry, I have trouble saying that word today. Um, what's your best one to give to your clients? Well, I don't know if you have a best one though, or one that used them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Uh, too late to go into a story. I don't want to you know, bore people anymore. Analogies, honestly, I will just say they depend on on the person. You, you really have to learn to to find what analogy or story is going to relate best to uh, the patient you're seeing. Um, but in general, I would say something I do tell my patients, especially the ones that really just don't want to be in pain or think being pain in pain is abnormal. I really try and, and tell them that pain is a normal feeling, uh, just like anything else, just like being happy, being sad, being angry, joyful, uh, et cetera. These are all normal feelings to have and to not fear it uh, and let it consume you uh, like it does for certain patients. I think that's probably one of the, the go-tos I have just to make it uh, short and sweet with the time we have left here. Yeah, there you go. That's a good one. Um mine probably is it's evolved it used to be and um fear of pain is worse than pain itself was a quote that we had but uh, i don't i don't really use that one so much anymore the one i'll probably say the most is it's not your fault uh a lot of people continue to blame themselves and you know they think it's them and i i think the best thing i say to people it's not your fault you've had for a while you've been to a lot of practitioners at this point it's not your fault that hasn't been figured out it's more the us in the medical society yes there are a lot of complex conditions out there and stuff and yes it needs to be a teamwork to figure out you know how the resolution of things but i think that's the best thing i can say to my you know it's not your fault let's work on this together to get this together um and get you back to the things that you want to do so that's probably my best at this point, but yeah. Awesome. Excellent advice. Again, it doesn't, it's not one thing or, or one phrase that's going to hit home. It, it's really, you know, finding out what's relating best to that patient. But uh, I think with that note, we'll let everyone go and we'll signing off here So until next week, guys. Uh, we'll see you then. All right. All right. Have a good one, everyone.